You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. Marketing News Canada is Canada's number one podcast for all things marketing, advertising, and communications. Today, we have Christine Scott, who is the Managing Director of Doug & Partners in Toronto. She has a unique, compassionate, and collaborative approach to business and teams and is a true inspiration and example for those who follow in her path. A powerhouse senior leader in Canadian marketing and advertising, C. Scott, has dedicated her career to modeling leadership and awareness, empathy, and a focus on empowering everyone around her to use their voice. Her agency experience spans Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., and she knows firsthand the power of intellectual diversity. She has led the strategic charge with some of the biggest brands on earth, been a key player to agency growth in her previous roles, and has an operating principle to be available to younger BIPOC people in the community. Christine C. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how are things? Tell us uh, what's going on these days in Toronto, given the reopen and close, the great reset. How's that been? Well, it's been interesting. I was really wondering, as the world in Toronto anyways opened up again, how awkward it would be getting people back together again. And I have to admit, I've been shocked by how quickly people have just automatically jumped to pre-pandemic behavior. Hugging. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Yes. You're seeing mosh pits and stuff? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, many mosh pits as a 47-year-old mother of three. That is precisely <laughs> where I spend most of my time. No, but I've you know gone to a couple outdoor gatherings, and uh, I'm a little hesitant, and people come right up to you and shake your hand and hug you. And I mean, I guess double vax and ready to party is really the mantra of, of Toronto right now. Well, I guess so. Ch- Chelsea Handler has her was it vaxxed and horny tour coming up? So we're all, uh, we're all, we're all just ready for that. Yeah. I can't wait to get that, that concert t-shirt. Wear that around the house house (laughs) with your three children. I, uh, I was at a a party, a stag actually over the weekend. And it was the first time I shook hands with another human being. Yeah. And then I immediately, you went to the san- hand sanitizer and just just rubbed my hands. I'm like, we're good. It was just a fishing trip, but still, it was something still. that uh, you know I, I didn't uh, I didn't feel comfortable really shaking. Well, I had my first client meeting face to face on Monday, and it was a long meeting. It was a productive meeting, but I left that meeting. I was shattered. I went to bed that night. I was trying to stay up to watch the Olympics. I went to bed at eight fifteen. Wow. I fell asleep on the sofa. My partner woke me up. Let me go to bed. But it was, yeah, it's funny how different your brain works when you're in real life versus over a screen or on the phone. I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, the fact that you actually have to wear business clothes, I haven't worn actual business pants since the pandemic. So I'm in shorts today. Good for you. I'm currently wearing pajama bottoms. Well, there you go. Yay. (laughs) Yay. So um, as a part of every superhero, there is an origin story. And we just wanted to hear from yourself, your origin story. Can you tell us a bit about how you started and sure. you know, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. I think I can say that my origin story can be divided into two parts, Ooh. my professional origin and then sort of how I operate as a practitioner. I was really lucky growing up, very supportive parents. My dad is a bit of an intellectual. And so when I went to university, he said, just go and learn. 
take the first four years to just learn. It's the only time you're going to have that luxury. And if you stumble upon something while you're there, then you can pay for it yourself, but go back and, and develop that skill. So, you know, I, I started, I went to Queens. I have a philosophy art history degree. I spent a lot of time writing and, and learning to sort of communicate using words and spoken, both written. And I started going down this track, which turns out to be communications, marketing and advertising. But the real clincher, to be completely honest, was my roommate almost throughout all of university is this hilarious BIPOC guy named Anthony Jiwa, who's now the CMO of OutTV. And we spent a lot of time digesting popular culture. And our favorite show to watch was Absolutely Fabulous, a British show. And I literally based my first career choice on wanting to be Adina Monsoon, the PR wow. practitioner from that show. So yeah, so went to, and I did, you know, went, graduated, started in PR, and then got super lucky, sent a fax one year in in Toronto, sent a fax to a company in New York, and they responded, flew down, got a job working in a PR company there, slowly moved into kind of Marcom while I was in that agency role and came back to Canada, moved to London and, and sort of just started exploring. And I was fortunate in the sense that I did have a lot of great mentors who helped me along the way and not open doors for me, but certainly helped steer me into make good decisions. And so I, I am here today for that reason. But I think in terms of why I think I'm successful now as a practitioner is because growing up BIPOC in Canada, in the U.S., and partly in the UK, I've, I've often felt othered by the people around me, especially in industry who are predominantly white men. And so I realized very quickly that I wanted other people not to feel like I feel. And so worked really hard to build relationships that were authentic and really based on trust and respect at a senior level, like, you know, East and West, North and South, and developed a bit of a reputation for being outspoken and speaking up for people and being truthful and honest and compassionate. So I think that's sort of where I've, I've landed in terms of how I operate and work within marketing and advertising today. Well, congratulations. I mean, I think we have some similar, similar origin story stuff as well, because my parents also sent me to university and kind of was like, figure it out. And if you like something, I was supposed to go to comp sci school, business school. I decided I didn't like that and did a comms degree as well. And being someone who's in the BIPOC community too, Definitely. Growing up in the 80s in suburban Vancouver, it was it was me, the Filipino kid and the Italian kid and everyone else was children of the corn almost. Yeah. Uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did you navigate that? And especially going to the States. Absolutely. There's there's racial tension in Canada, but I at least from what I see, it's much more amplified in the States. How did you navigate that? You know, it's true. It is amplified. But the thing that I think people forget is the community of BIPOC people, especially the Black community, is so much larger there and stronger as a community. There's a strong pride in Black culture, South Asian culture, that gives you that sense of community. When you're there, you feel part of something bigger. And I really did grow a lot as a person when I worked there because it was great to be a person of color. I had three or four sisters that worked at the agency with me. Like I had never had anyone else other than a white person as a colleague. And I step into this role and there's these girls asking me if I want to go get my nails done with them, where, you know, giving me recommendations on where to get good hair product, 
So I really felt that sort of sisterhood, that community while I was there and made me feel more comfortable in who I was. Now, granted, listen, going to a business meeting, you have to, you know, never wear your hair curly and you always have to wear your hair, you know, back or straight or up or whatever. And people commented on how suits didn't fit me the same way because of my body shape. So, so, you know, you, you learn and grow. And, and I will say it was, it's always been challenging for me. You know, people think that I'm like this boss bitch, but it's been hard. Like it's been really hard growing, growing up and growing through the industry as a woman of color. It's definitely been challenging and really, really difficult at times. So you can't wear your hair curly. I, this is the first time I've heard that. Oh, is it? Oh yes. Because curly hair is unprofessional because it's too crazy. Really? Maybe I'm in Vancouver and we're just a bunch of hipsters, but I mean, it's less, it's listen, it's not an issue now as much anyways. I mean, I still get a couple of comments every now and again, cause I mean, my hair is slicked back right now cause I so desperately need a haircut, <laughs> but yeah, no, you still get it. Your hair is so crazy. Oh, it's so, uh-huh. it's so fun and crazy. One of my best friends is a successful woman and she was in publishing and, and now she works for a TikTok. but you know, it's the same thing. Like it's novel, but it's novel now, but it was definitely considered unprofessional back back five years ago. Not even five years ago. Well, so then, with you know your background and and influence, given that you were working in in larger firms and you commanded global brands, being someone of of color, you have something to contribute that is very different than the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so, maybe tell us a story where that actually was of benefit. And it really opened the mind of others to consider doing things differently. So that's an interesting thing to bring up because that's definitely something that has been a unique selling proposition that I've believed of myself, but not always understood or respected or valued by the people around me. And I think sometimes they were like, oh, Christine, she's so creative. She comes up with such great ideas. And they've never really understood or attributed that fact to my otherness, my difference. So I do bring a different perspective. Uh, it's actually something that's driven me from the moment that I started being able to build my own teams at an agency, it was where I spent the majority of my career, is seeking that intellectual diversity out. You mentioned that when you were reading my bio, but it's, it is something that I've really always done by design simply because I always think if you want great creative ideas, if you want differentiated tools or solutions to sell your clients, if you get the same type of thinker in the room with the same type of experiences, you're going to get the same type of ideas. So that notion of diversity and intellectual diversity is something that I've always thought was such an important part of creativity. And, you know, listen, marketing for commerce, creativity for commerce, which is actually sort of the selling line of my current agency. But you know, if we're selling ideas as our job as marketers, then quite frankly, don't we want to have the best and most different ideas than the shop down the street? And how do you achieve that? I always felt it was from pulling different people to the table, age, gender, race, sexual preference, like the whole thing. Just let's get different people together and and bring that, bring those ideas to life. Yeah. I found that very useful in my own agency. We did a little survey with flags to see where everyone's from. And I think there was only one person in our team that is actually white, Anglo, born and raised male. Everyone else hails from all parts of the world. And it's really great because we have this mosaic where we're able to share ideas, be diverse about it. And I think we, as leaders, are able to permit this open dialogue 
And there's really no right or wrong. It's about what's workable and how can we achieve our, our clients' goals ultimately, right? So, And absolutely not to discount the importance and significance of a white male voice. It's an important voice to have as well. But that's mm-hmm. the key, as well. Mm-hmm, Part mm-hmm. of the puzzle, not the only voice that should be heard. So, you know, fighting against that, you know, cisgendered white voice as the only standard has been something almost everyone outside of white men has struggled with. And I feel it's, it's, it's slowly starting to be understood as well, valuable. You must have seen quite a bit of change over your career. Mm-hmm. What, what do we now, as the younger generation is coming up, what have we started to take for granted where you know, those before us or even ourselves have kind of blazed that trail? Like when you started versus now, what's, what's different? You know, the th- I like that, they, that, that younger people, kind of, I sound like I'm 80 years old. I like it that younger people. No, but I do <laughs> like that younger people take it for granted because that means change has been actualized. I will never look at a young person and be, you know, you should be more grateful to the people who come before you. That's sort of not, in my opinion, the point of being a good ancestor. That's the point of being a good ancestor, right? Is to create these mm-hmm. occasions and these opportunities for people. Yeah, but I think that's a good question. I mean, what was the question again? <laughs> well, I mean, if you were, I don't know, curly hair. That was one thing that I was, just, I haven't, right? So was there something else when you first started? So I, I used to be the chair of the Business Council of BC mm-hmm. out here. And we had a Road to the C-Suite series. And we interviewed Sue Pache, who is now the CEO of the Canadian Digital Supercluster. But she was one of the managing directors of a very large law firm. It was called Faskin and had a bunch of names, but now it's Faskins. Mm -hmm. And for her at the time, when she started her career, she actually wanted to I'm not going to say the name of the the company that she wanted to work for. She was an intern somewhere. And when they asked her, what are your goals? What Where do you see yourself? And she said, I see myself as the CEO of this large company. And the, those that were interviewing her were male, white, older, and nowhere to lie, they laughed, right? And so that would never happen today. At least, I hope not. At least not in, in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Or Toronto, hopefully. Yeah. So that change has happened with a leader like Sue who has tr- um, blazed this trail. So you are a trailblazer, right? You sent your first thing with facts. So, you know, we've, we've been around the block a, a, a bit, right? Yeah, so, so there's something that has happened then that, you know, you, it, it wouldn't happen anymore. Yeah, you're right. You know, and I think, the, I think what maybe the younger generation of people, take for granted, which I think is great that they do, but is the available opportunities or even the idea of having that as a goal. And I think that having people like ourselves in more senior roles, we help set goals for these people, right? Some of these kids see us and say, oh, this is something that's available to me. I mean, I'm the managing director of an agency. I think honestly, still in Toronto, there's maybe three women of color that are managing directors of agencies. So, but that's three. And now people can look to us and say, that's something I want to do. The opportunities did not present themselves as so obvious to people like myself. And quite frankly, the other thing is there was times where I was the only person of color at a shop 
you know, there was mm-hmm. no other visible minority, which was, you know, now we're the majority, but visible minorities around. So that, that, that feeling of otherness was very profound and pronounced for me when I was much younger from, from school up. And, uh, it's nice now to look around and see my reflection in someone else. It's nice to see someone who doesn't just always look like children of the corn to quote you children of the corn. I've never actually watched that movie. I just remember that poster. Yeah. I was going to say it looked, I I think deep down inside in my Brown bones, I knew that was a scary concept. So I never (laughs) watched it either. I I didn't, I didn't watch it. So I have no idea. It's just the poster, scary poster. Okay. So you had mentors, you said along the way, but given like you just said, there's really only a few women of color that lead agencies right now. I would imagine your mentors were few and far between that were your reflection. So who did you turn to? Was it business people? Was it other community leaders? Again, I'm very lucky. I have wonderful parents. I have a father who is incredibly successful in in finance, very educated, but kind, uh, always gave me great business advice. I have a mother, African-born, who is a proud brown woman who always sort of reminded me to stand up and be proud of myself. But like-minded people tend to gravitate towards like-minded people. I, I did have some really empathetic, kind-hearted, and smart women that I was able to work with while I was starting an agency life. And I, and I have to say, I also was really lucky that one of my bosses, when I first joined Cassette, actually, uh, was a, a St. Lucian woman, Ira Baptiste, who was a, and still is, a powerhouse. You know, she was unapologetically Black. And we joke around, we call ourselves BL1 and BL2 because we're the only (laughs) people of color sort of at the agency for a while. So I have been lucky and I know I've been lucky. And I know that a lot of people around me have not had the same opportunities, which is why I, I really do present myself as this idea of wanting to just be a really good ancestor. I wanna be very visible and vocal with my struggles, with what I've gone through and what I can provide younger generations of BIPOC people who are coming up around me. I I make myself available as much as I possibly can, because I know that I, not everyone has been as lucky as me and still is not as lucky as me. So if I can help, that is my goal. So then how do you pay it forward? Are you mentoring folks Mm -hmm. or, um, and how do you go about that? Yeah, well, I I do. I, I do mentor folk. I'm part of an initiative that's we're turning it national, but it's Toronto-based right now called the Black Talent Initiative, started by Mark Harrison. I work with them on their sort of founders board. I make myself available to young Black talent through that and just through the industry. I mean, it was a lot easier before COVID when you could go out, but I I, I encourage, I, I try to have a voice on social media so people can feel open to reaching out to me. And I just I I just try my best to be available and and honest with people who come to me. I also guest lecture at OCAD, the nice uh, Ontario College of Arts and Design, and was brought on board to that organization through another incredibly smart, talented Black woman, Dory Tunstall, who's the Dean of Design, and uh, have opened up the opportunity for, for students to come and reach out to me and use me as a sounding board for professional advice, career advice, program advice. But we, you know, we discuss the notion of decolonization of, of advertising and marketing. So it's a, it's a, it's a fertile ground for connecting with young black and, and BIPOC talent. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What kind of questions do you get asked from these folks? I think it depends, but a lot of it is, how do you deal with this, with like the whiteness in organizations? How do you respond to these micro and macro aggressions? How do you handle yourself? You know, there's a, there's a strong and long lasting narrative of the angry black person that we all sort of dance around trying to make sure that we don't get pigeonholed with that stereotype. And so I think a lot of young BIPOC people are afraid. We've been made to feel afraid to speak our truth, to be outspoken and to show our anger and being disregarded. So I think a lot of the questions are around that. And, and how to navigate through business, how to navigate through sort of some cultural behaviors of whiteness that really sting when, when we get slapped with them. So a, a, lot of, a lot of things like that. And also things like, hey, help me write my resume. <laughs> help you. Help me. Come on. Yeah. You got to empower them to. Oh, trust to, me. To I do don't that. write it for yeah. them. I give right, them, yeah, I, but yeah, I do yeah. give, them, give tips them tips in terms of what people like me are hiring managers are looking for. Well, let's let's go into that. Let's go. So you you run an agency, you know, mm -hmm. and so marketing. Where how do you see your role as an ancestor, person of color, when we're marketing? I mean, I being Chinese, I don't I don't actually use a lot of that in in my my day to day. Though I interviewed a another individual, um, Bobby Sani, who's in Ontario, and he he runs um, Ethnicity Matters, and they they talk about you know immigrant marketing and that, those kinds of mm -hmm. things. What do you see is the the next step in marketing when it comes to these conversations? So it's something that Doug, Doug Robinson, the owner of Doug and Partners, and I have been working on since I joined. I joined the agency at a very pivotal time. Quite a few senior leaders were leaving for personal reasons. And it provided me with amazing opportunity to sit with Doug and say, let's talk about what this agency can become and what we need to do to get there. And so we've been able to have the opportunity to hire across the board from junior level people all the way to senior level people. And we've been able to apply that concept of intellectual diversity as part of our hiring practice. And listen, we're not even halfway done, but what we're doing is bringing different voices to the table at all levels and encouraging everyone to speak 
up so that different voices can be represented. And, you know, I've been looking around and paying a a lot of close attention to marketing and advertising campaigns that are coming up. And you can see a lot of them, there's a, there's a word that I I just saw called woke washing, where you can see a lot of woke washing, where a lot of campaigns are just, you know, you see black people, Chinese people, Indian people cast in the ad. And that's great. Listen, I'm certainly not saying that's a bad thing. That's a really good first step. And I, I applaud the brands and the agencies that are doing this. But then you look at the the stories that are being told through these ads and they're not authentically Chinese or Indian or black. They're just white stories told with black actors, Chinese actors, Indian actors. So I think the next step is making sure that the value of those other stories becomes as important and also start being told so that you can have a McDonald's commercial that has an authentic, and listen, I'm not Chinese. I don't know what an authentic Chinese experience with McDonald's or around eating could be. But I, I think if you asked an executive, like an ECD who happened to be Chinese, he might be able to express that point of mm-hmm. view. And so I'm looking and hoping that as the industry progresses and moves forward, we're able to see more diversity at those senior levels. We're able to see more diversity at the mid levels and junior levels and that their voices are captured and listened to with the same sort of weighting and importance because it's not just the most senior level people that should have a voice. It should, it should be more democratic, egalitarian. And so that's what we are promoting at my agency. And it gets me excited when I go to work every day um, to see things working and coming to life in different ways. And I'm sort of hoping that that becomes uh, not a trend, but sort of the status, the status quo moving forward. That makes a, a lot of sense. And I think it goes along with the whole virtue signaling, right? Where, you know, Pride mm-hmm. Month and all these hundreds of of avatars that are, are now mm-hmm. rainbow flags, again, nothing wrong with that. And if you're not really living the values and simply just putting a rainbow onto your logo, well, that's not really, that doesn't really speak your truth. And so with regards to storytelling, what are you doing there to, to promote that? Are you have, are you pitching that to clients or, or is it a conversation that you're having to go, Hey, great, let's do this. But we don't just want to have the United Colors of Benetton on our ads. We actually want to tell, cause storytelling is going to be key moving forward. Agreed. And how do we open that dialogue and keep that door open? So with respect to what I'm doing at Duggan Partners, I'm, this is brand new. So it's something we're starting to introduce to our clients, but it's definitely that narrative is definitely something that I promoted and challenged my clients at my other agencies to, to consider when they were making decisions. It's, you know, a lot of the people that I worked with were, were white in terms of my client set very well-intentioned. And I don't mean that like in a derogatory, well-intentioned white people kind of way. I actually mean looking to make a difference, but not really having the tools or understanding how to do it. So challenging them to understand, you know, during Pride Month, if you want to participate, what else are you guys doing as an organization that supports that community? It's not just your point, putting a rainbow on a pair of jeans. It's got to be something deeper than that for you to authentically be able to participate and have in that conversation. So that's definitely something that is a space that I feel very comfortable having conversations with. And I think rightly so. I think that's the way people should be thinking about this moving forward. And so early days with my current clients and, and obviously 
part of my mandate is to grow the business. So, you know, conversations that we're having as we look to grow the business, what types of clients do we want to work with? Are they independent in their thinking and what they're trying to bring to the table so that we can flex and be an agency known for delivering that type of work? So I run a digital legion agency in Vancouver here called Ballistic Arts, and we basically get leads for our clients through any kind of creative. I kind of wanted to, I'm interested to seeing if you have any insights on how different people from different backgrounds interact and intuitively use digital tools. Do you see anything that's different than just, here's the demographic, is it 35 male, like soccer and beer, that's that's who you're targeting? Or, or how do you, do you have any insights around that? Not really. I would probably just hire you and ask you to answer that question for my clients. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we so we, how we go is actually we we look at psychographics, not mm-hmm. necessarily as, as the demographics, right? Like, what are the brands they identify? Who do they? How do they they react to particular situations and scenarios? Because the data doesn't tell you what they're necessarily what their gender, race, you know, th- those kinds of things are. And so I, I just I do think that storytelling is going to be. key because actually I was interviewing the chief strategy officer, Tamara Gruminski Mm -hmm. from Unbounce. And she was saying that, you know, creative makes a a difference and and copy creative makes a big difference when you A-B test ads. Mm -hmm. And so that copy is going to be important. And I'm just personally interested to seeing how do we message in a way that's not pandering, but is also authentic and, and unique and diverse. So yeah, I, I think that's it's really interesting. And I think to your point, it, it's, it's, it's strong about storytelling. And I think the opportunity to provide different people with jobs that give them the right to storytell, because you're right, you, you want these voices and narratives to be authentic. And you don't want it to be pandering where it's like, oh, we're always talking, talking to you know black people. Do we use a bit more of a different cadence in how we're speaking? Um, yeah, it's Chinese New Year. Let's use some red and gold. Like, you know, like, well, okay, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Is that going to authentically connect with anyone? No, you're just using your biases of what you think of that group of people and what they believe to to communicate to them. And what you're actually doing is not communicating to them, but you're 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 communicating your agenda to a white demographic. Oh, look how how woke this brand is. They're trying to market to Chinese people, but Chinese people are looking at it going, one, I don't read that newspaper. That's not how we say this greeting to each other. So well, thank you, like, but no thank you. <laughs> absolutely. When we went to, we were in a trip in the United States, me and my wife, when we early on and we just had our daughter and we we had to get drive through. We don't normally get drive through and they mm-hmm. had Panda Express close to the hotel. And it was like, who are they trying to market to? Because I don't think they're marketing to me because I find this slightly insulting. Yeah, it's a cute panda, but the food's not very good. This is like, I don't know. That is ethnic marketing done wrong. <laughs> It is. It's a, it's a large brand. Though, so. It is a large brand. Yes. Yes. I know people who very much enjoy Panda Express when they go to the United States, and but they're not wrong. Chinese. I'll tell you well, that well that's the thing. It's, it's kind of like me enjoying, you know, I, I don't actually like Pizza Hut, but like, you know, saying that I like that and that's Italian food. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think there's, there's a space for, for everybody. Let's, let's move the conversation to uh, global brands. You've, you've commanded a bunch of global brands. That's macro diversity. How do yes. you, how do you, I don't even know how, how do you run that? 
Well, I will say global brands, but not globally. So I was never working as the chief marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, but I certainly was taking global brands like ones you'd find at Procter & Gamble and marketing them to Canadians and also doing actually a significant amount of ethnic marketing to Canadians as well, which was the first sort of glimpse that I got. And this was, this was about 10 or 15 years ago uh, of seeing the potential buying power of some of the immigrant populations and the BIPOC people in Canada. And, you know, again, it's, it's sometimes I think to myself, I don't really care what the reason is as long as we get spoken to, but you could see that these brands understood that they could make a lot of money if they started putting beautiful Chinese women on their ads when they were trying to sell Tide to Chinese women. So, so I was, I did have the opportunity to do do quite a bit of that in Canada and the United States and seeing the distinction of the different groups of people that are marketed to within these global organizations, depending on where you sit on the border was very, very interesting. In that time, it was a lot of experiential marketing communications. So a lot of research going into developing these programs, but learning early on to lean into subject matter experts. So when I was developing programs for Diwali, we engaged a South Asian partner to help work with that because I was very clear <laughs> with, my, with my sort of superiors of the agency. We cannot speak on behalf of these groups. We have to make sure that we amplify the voices of the people who know what's going on. And that's sort of the distinction that created success was that understanding and appreciation of the, our role in that moment was to amplify voices. It wasn't to mimic or try to create voices using the ones we had. I would imagine though, there's a certain amount of risk there, right? Because you, you didn't start at the C-suite, right? You started on your way up. And so at what point did you get to in your career where you felt comfortable saying what you just said in a way that these leaders would take a chance and then making sure that it executes the way that you said it Mm. was going to. Beautiful alchemy of not caring anymore that people thought I was uppity, (laughs) like just stop. I just didn't care anymore, but also being smart enough to surround myself with incredible people who helped me make a lot of money for these companies. So they knew that I could deliver on the bottom line. And sometimes they just had to listen. I'm a six foot tall brown lady. I can, I can command a room if I, if I stand up and wear my heels. So it had gotten to the point many years ago where I just stopped caring that people thought I was being disruptive and being angry and being all those sort of cliche brown woman things and just decided I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. But isn't that really... That it, I think that's that's a little bit of the secret right there. There's a book called How, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a f- right? Yeah. And yeah. I don't think they're going to beep us for saying that this time. Yeah. It's right? a book. It's a book. It's a book. <laughs> and, but it, it is true where when you have meaningful things to say, just say them. Don't give a bleep about it. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because ultimately, if, is it, is it going to forward the brand? Yes. Yeah. Right? And, is it gonna, and is it going to help other people? in the end. And I know selling laundry detergent isn't saving the world, right? But, you know, it, it does help move the, the needle forward. And sometimes you just got to speak your truth. Don't get me wrong. Many, many, many days after those really challenging boardroom conversations, I drive home in tears, just exhausted and feeling lonely and not victimized, but really struggling with the weight of constantly 
feeling like I was running up a hill with a giant rock on my back. But it is one of those things where, and the advice I give anyone who works with me is these people are not your parents. It doesn't matter if they get mad at you. Who cares? It's not your dad. It's not your mom. Just speak your truth. You are a grown up. You are allowed to have an opinion. You are allowed and speak it. 100%. Okay. So just mindful of time here, I wanted to run through a little bit of rapid fire so that we okay. get to know C. Scott, Christine. Okay. So you ready? Don't ask my weight. Uh, I wasn't going to. That <laughs> okay. was certainly not on the Just setting some list. boundaries. I'm a boundary setter. All right. Okay, no problem. <laughs> okay. What was the first thing you marketed? The Starlight Children's Foundation. Are you a night owl or early bird? I have become an early bird since having children. What is your favorite children's cereal? For me to eat? I don't know. For you to eat or for you to satiate your children? <laughs> oh, Yeah. Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. <laughs> My kids love Fruit Loops. Paw Patrol or The Wiggles? Oh my God. My youngest child, Jamie, is nine. So neither. We did not participate in Wiggles, but we did for a small period of time participate in Paw Patrol. Chase was definitely on the case for very many, many months. My, my daughter um, was three and jumping around the couch. My wife was flipping through channels and the wiggles came on and she immediately just sat down, started sucking her thumb. Oh, geez. And, and so we were on the wiggles bandwagon for three years, I think. It's big a long red time. car, That's big a red car. Well, it's funny. My, my partner has two older children They're His sons are 24 and 21. And sometimes he comes over and, and we see the kids watching TV and he'll say, Hey, did you ever watch XYZ? And there's a big like delta of, of shows that didn't branch, like bridge between our two kids, but it's it's pretty funny. Best thing you bought for under 10 bucks? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. You see, I'm so rich. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Probably this CarMax, actually. It's the Carmax. best, it's the best uh, lip balm that you can buy, I think. Nice. Yeah. Favorite carb. Bread, pasta, rice, or potatoes? As a brown woman, rice. Mm. We did not grow up with pasta or potatoes. They were verboten in my house. My mom did oh. not know how to cook them. She oh, is, really? She is from Africa. We had rice with every meal. Our agency, because we have so many people from different parts of the world, somehow we got into this heated argument in our 4.30 Fridays after beer Zoom calls about how to make mashed potatoes. And every single person has a very different way of making mashed potatoes. You'd be surprised. Oh, I would be shocked. <laughs> Favorite song or album you're listening on repeat right now? Oh, I am listening to The Best of Blondie. The Best of Blondie? Yeah, and The Best of the Bee Gees. I'm on a real like disco toned kick of joyful dancing music. I can't get enough of it right now. You didn't grow up during disco. I know, man. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Did you okay. listen to Zeppelin? Do you ever listen to Zeppelin? I actually, I am not a Zeppelin. Oh, I was My just going to use that as an example. I like, know, <laughs> I know. I've actually been listening to like some Elton John recently. Oh, I don't know Elton's why. Great. Like the Rocket Man. I've just been oh, listening yeah. to Rocket Man on repeat. Also, I was born in 1974. So I feel like that was the tail end of disco. It was. Fair enough. Yeah. 
Last charity you supported financially and or with your time? Last charity was the Cerebral Palsy Foundation of Canada. I had a little brother who had cerebral palsy. He passed away, unfortunately. Still one of the loves of my life, though. So I donate to them every single month. Book that you've read, be it marketing, business, or personal, that has changed your life. Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Talks about race across the globe and sort of the subjugation of people of color across history. It's blew my mind, blew my mind. Where are you going to travel once travel restrictions are lifted? My partner and I are going to Rome in November. In November? <laughs> yes. That's gutsy. You, you think you can leave, you, you think you can go to Rome by November? Yes, I do. I believe it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I said it out loud and by saying it out loud, it's going to come true. I have a friend who planned Mexico. He bought Mexico tickets in no, for November as well a year ago. Ugh. I don't know. We'll see. I had, I had a trip planned with my kids to go to Barbados two weeks before the whole thing shut down. And so yeah. I'm not taking them to Rome, but yeah, my, my <laughs> wife, my wife's, uh, she had a big milestone birthday. Actually, we both turned 40, um, last year and it was supposed to be, we literally, I think it was a month before shutdown. I think everyone, has a story like that. Okay. So what about uh, words of advice, words of wisdom, final words of advice that you could give to someone up and coming in this marketing industry? Uh, that's a person of color. The way it's done is not the way it has to be done moving forward. Speak your truth. Don't listen to the Oh, I was going to use a swear word. I don't think I can use a swear you word. You can. It's fine. Uh, just, I was going to say, don't listen it. to the fuckery. Just Try your best. Awesome. Don't love it. Christine, thank you for sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it. And I think I will try some Blondie later today just to uh, give it a shot. So good. So good. Glass. Okay. I'm going to start doing that and make some lunch. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Marketing News Canada. Stay tuned for the next one. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.